welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Investing Power Hour number 64. I guess a multiple of eight here. I always try to think of something unique as we get going, but it's usually just another number on our way to 100. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm joined as always by Ryan Henderson. Any listeners, viewers, whoever uh, that are listening to the podcast, we thank you for joining uh, on the Investing Power Hours. We cover anything in the financial markets, whether it be meme stocks, whether it be fundamental analysis, we might do something crazy, you know, a long show about an individual stock if something goes on a tangent, but we can really cover anything. And we're not during earnings season right now, although it looks like Ryan does have some notes from some of the few companies that do an offset calendar. But we're going to try to talk about stuff today as it's kind of a lull period. We had the Fed stuff, inflation stuff last week, which we covered. If anyone's interested into that, I think we have a good conversation there. But this is at the end of the quarter, kind of the third week, I would say, is the most downtime every quarter. Wouldn't you agree, Ryan? And Or maybe the first week of the quarter. It's either the third week of the last month or the first week of the first month. That is the most boring, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there was really not a lot of news. I can tell people are just searching for news, but hundred uh, percent. What? Uh, yeah. What was the? Whatever well, gets at least dry, if, we talk about the value spread, or whatever gets right. dry, uh, we talk about the Fed. That is right. I actually do have the value spread. I want to. I don't want to talk about whether everyone talks about it being wide, but I, I want to talk about today. Like, why is it so blown out right now? And whether it's like a fake indicator or truly a you know once in a generation buying opportunity, I want to get to that topic today. I do have it linked into there. I think we can hit some of the topics that we saved from other weeks because we usually don't hit on them, especially during earnings season. But I guess you know we don't we're not going to talk about this because it is an insane topic. But Bill Ackman can keep us, I guess, entertained on if you're on Twitter right <laughs> during the downtime. I think you know thankful for that. I am convinced. So Bill Ackman has tweets that make you question his sanity. And I'm yeah. starting to realize it's just engagement bait. He's just and he's it just works incredibly for- well. Like we're the ones being like fooled by it, is that everyone's like, okay, this guy is so full of it, but you have to watch and see what he says next. It's like, what's that show where he's like, well, if everyone hates it, why do they listen to it? Like main answer, Uh-oh. they wanted to see what he had to say next. It yeah. feels very similar to that. That's a dangerous game though. Cause then eventually people start muting you, but I don't think he said that point yet. Um, something I will mention though, we just finished up our work for visa we're we're about to record our not so deep dive on them. That spoiler, will good business. That'll come out what two days after this episode airs. So yep. may, maybe you don't listen to them in order, but I'm hoping. I, I think that's going to be a really good episode. And I've got to say, that is one of the best businesses around. I don't think that's a. Spoiler, I don't think that's yeah. a hot take. A huge take. But I was, I was really kind of blown away when we actually dug into it. And the other part is. I think Visa is one of those things. And I'm like one of the main culprits of this where people are like, oh yeah, I know what Visa does. And they don't, you don't really know what they do. And that was me for the longest time. Finally pieced it together and it just felt so good to finally, you know. That's right. We also have that. Yep. And for their dueling partner MasterCard, we did an interview uh, with, you know, extremely similar business model with Matt Cochran last week look for it in the feed it'll be right there i will say though everyone listening should congratulate the man behind the zoom not behind the glass brady who does all the product producing for the show and who uh does all the editing because he get he as anyone listening to this on sunday he will be officially married 
Uh, it's it's yes. a COVID. We don't need to go into the complications of the COVID ceremony or whatever, but he will have his big celebration this weekend. So anyone, I don't know. If you, if you really us, enjoy the production, really, email us, say hi on Twitter. Maybe we'll post something. Congratulations to him. So yeah. there we go. And he's probably editing this right now as he's listening to it. So Brady, congrats. Also congrats um, to future Ryan as we're listening to this for a great best man speech. Yes, that is the goal. That is the goal. So, um, all right. News, financial news, really not a lot out there. Uh, it kind of feel, I want to start with this topic. It feels like markets are in no man's land right now. Mm. Because I'm on this, yep. I'm on this train too. Someone, I forget what I was listening. I think I was listening to value after hours and I, I can't remember who posed the question, but it was like, how are you feeling about your portfolio right now? And I mean, everyone's going to say the same thing, which is like, well, I feel great about my portfolio. I'm not going to say like, oh no, it's going to shit the bed or whatever. But then Jake kind of reframed the question to how are you feeling about your portfolio right now versus other times in history? Yeah. And it started to make me think like, I don't feel that great about it. And this is probably just anchoring to previous prices, but I don't feel that great about it versus how I felt a year ago. Um, and it, but at the same time, it's like, okay, yeah, I can see that, you know, I, we can generate good returns on this. If, if our thesis plays out and we're correct over, you know, and the multiple three, doesn't three years. <laughs> but yeah, I don't love where some of them are at. And it also, I don't, but uh, cause, okay. A lot of these companies, your current earning your current earnings yield. So the inverse of your price to earnings for anyone that isn't familiar with that expression, that's just basically the percent, the net income that the business generates as a percentage of their overall uh, enterprise value or market cap. Um, it's, it feels like a lot of these are in the four to 5% range in our portfolio. Maybe some are higher, some are maybe lower because they haven't turned the quarter to profit turn the corner to profitability yet. But I mean, the S&P 500 earnings yield, I think is at around 4% and bonds or pretty much, I think pretty much all bonds below that mature within two years, government yeah, bonds. Cause, yeah. Cause we're on a very inverted curve right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think the two year, the one year, the six month and the three month all yield like 4.8% or higher. That's their annualized yield. Um, I don't know where to put money. If if you're in it like an individual investor that isn't keeping track of like individual stocks where you think, oh, this one stock in particular is going to do well, where do you feel compelled to put money? Like, okay, let's say inflation's at three. Some of the indicators that I've seen that I like, or the people that I follow that I actually think, okay, you know, I, it seems like an informed take think. Maybe we have a sustained period of three to four percent inflation for whatever uh, many well, years. It's a it's a possibility. Say it's not a certainty, as some macro doomers or whoever might say, but it's definitely a possibility. And I guess that's not a macro doom scenario. But again, we don't know what's going to happen. Right. So if you get three to four percent inflation, and you're getting five percent of the bonds, you're maybe getting a one percent to two percent real return. Or you can get an earnings yield of 4%, which is maybe that'll grow, but still that's kind of in line with inflation right now. So it makes me feel like, what are we just going to have kind of a sideways market for multiple years or are earnings from the main contributors of the indices, say, you know, Alphabet, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, the big uh, eight, Apple, Uh, I said Google twice, basically. Um, are they going to grow fast enough to warrant that earnings yield? I just kind of have a hard time believing that. Yeah. Well, which means what do you to, do with your money? What do you have so, a balanced 50, 50 portfolio or is it? Yeah. You'll be shocked to say that or to hear that. I think the stocks in our portfolio under the big tech companies, I think can grow their earnings fast, which would be alphabet and Amazon. I think the ones that we don't own and wouldn't own touch with a 10 foot pole NVIDIA and Tesla will not, or maybe the expectations are high, but here's 
I think one risk if inflation stays high, given the historic how, how this may happen historically, and again, it might be different this time, given how asset light a lot of these businesses are, uh, how a lot of the composition of the index has changed. But I think margin compression on the S&P 500 could be a risk if inflation stays high because that generally means your input costs are rising and that generally means your wages are rising, which I think would continue to pressure margins on the S&P 500 or in general, all stocks, which unless you have a really, really good moat and can raise your prices, I think that would be a concern for a lot of businesses. Um, It would be probably pretty good news for the economy overall, because I think if wages were rising, you know, markets would be, or excuse me, right? Like people would be able to spend more on stuff. It's just uh, less would be falling to the balance sheets of these companies. But from an investment perspective, I think that is a risk I would, I'm looking for if I'm investing in an index. And I think right now, like if I'm an index investor, which I'm not, so I guess uh, maybe I'm taking, you know, the leap into all individual stocks and that's probably foolish, at least for the long run, or at least from a risk reward and time spent perspective, but whatever, I enjoy it. We enjoy it. I think if I was an index investor and I had new money coming in each month, I don't think it'd be crazy to say, hey, look, right now, given that I can earn a higher tech, earn a higher yield in the short-term treasury ETF or whatever way you access them, I can park some money in these short-term treasuries at the moment, earn 5%, and then if the market goes down or kind of re-rates back below the risk-free rate, which I guess you could argue is the 10-year yield, whatever. I kind of think the short-term treasuries are less risky, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like if I had new money coming in, I would definitely be putting into a short-term treasury ETF right now. But again, I'm doing these polls on Twitter about stuff like this. I find it very fascinating to see where everyone's psychology is. And usually people have been saying, oh no, buy QQQ or buy uh, the S&P 500. ETFs. If you were not working in investing or in finance generally, would you care or would you just buy QQQ or buy S&P 500 because you're 20, what is it? You're what, 26 years old? Yeah, I think, I guess if I didn't follow it at all, maybe, and it, you, you know, you'll do fine over the long, long term. But my goal, I think, would be to still take that cash that I have in the treasury bond ETF or treasury bonds or whatever is yielding 5%. And eventually it goes into the market, but it's not going to go into the market when the market's yielding 4%. And I worry about margin compression. Yeah, but maybe that's, that's overthinking it. And yeah. Um, uh, okay, here we have a question. Yeah, I saw that. So I want to hit that one. I pulled up what it is. Ethan says, hey, guys, love the pod. Curious on your thoughts on PayPal KKR deal announced yesterday. For anyone that didn't see it, I believe he's referring to this. Um, let's see, was that yesterday, June 20th? Yeah, PayPal and KKR in deal for PayPal's buy now, pay later European loans. I'm just reading the headline here. Shares of PayPal advanced on Tuesday after the electronic payment system provider struck a deal with KKR, allowing the private equity firm to purchase up to 40 million euros of PayPal's buy now, pay later loans in Europe. I think generally they're just offloading these buy now, pay later loans from their balance sheet. And apparently they're going to use some of this to buy back stock. I don't know, uh, given the size of this business, the number there is not meaningful, but I think it could be a positive indicator that they're trying to lean up the business, not take credit risk, which I think is probably a good thing because a lot of the times, and we'll talk about it with these in MasterCard um, in our show coming up and you can hear Matt talk about it on that interview we did with him. I think generally you want to separate that out. If, if you're not a lender, it's kind of, it's a hard muscle to learn. You can't just jump into it. People really, really struggle with that and it can lead to bad things. So I think it's probably a good thing, but not any sort of game changing thing from the stock. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? 
It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, I actually got a little bit of a discussion, got into a little bit of a discussion on this this morning. And I did not see the terms of the debt sale, but Matt Cochran raises a good point. He says it, PayPal has a history of selling its loans, sold its consumer debt to, I think, Synchrony Financial a few years ago. Management has stated it wants a relatively asset light balance sheet. Um, he says, of course, the new CEO could change things. He said, he also goes on to say, I think they still have some commercial debt on its books, but very little, if any, consumer debt. I think that's right. I think this is one of those situations where it's like analyzing what your core competency is. And for PayPal, I think it's building useful consumer applications and not necessarily like owning balance sheet risk and lending. So being kind of that uh, that lubricant or maybe the intermediary there where you can provide people access to these financial products that they want without taking on the balance sheet risk is great. And if they can just do that and just be really a tech business as opposed to a financial business, I say go for it and keep buying back shares. And that's a great way to go, especially at a time like right now where their valuation looks pretty depressed. If they're able to offload some of this and and get cash in the door and and buy back shares they're probably generating or probably building a lot of value for shareholders in that process yeah i still don't like the company though I, no i actually found this i when when we were reading up on uh when we were studying for visa i saw this quote from max levchin who i believe was he was one of the co-founders of paypal i think he was one of the more, more important co-founders of PayPal. He says, I think this was like when he was working for PayPal. He says, PayPal is actually a more or less commodity business. It sounds very cool and innovative, emailing money around and moving money on the internet, but it's really not that, not very difficult. All we really do is put a very pretty front web front end on it. Basically what he's saying is that it's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but there's no secret sauce. It's just a layer on top of the card networks. There's secret. Well, I guess there's no, there's nothing a competitor can't copy, which we've seen, right? I mean, the Apple buttons. Pay and yeah, the, all, the, all the buttons have gone and done a lot of this. Um, it's just in building customer loyalty and building a trusted brand and payments um, that they've done a good job of. So I, I think it's, it doesn't deserve the premium multiple that a Visa or a MasterCard should receive because I don't think the competitive advantage is as high, but this could still, I, I grapple with, okay, they might not grow market share, but this could be a really good investment, like purely based on their ability to grow earnings. Yeah. Did you see the Shopify Adyen partnership today? No. All right. I'm going to read this. I haven't looked at the details either. So again, fair warning for anyone if we're missing some of the the fine print here, but here is the intro paragraph on a news blurb. Netherlands-based fintech Adyen has announced a partnership with Shopify in order to offer improved payment features for global e-commerce enterprise merchants. Following the collaboration, the companies will focus on improving their e-commerce capabilities and offerings and simplifying the customer journey and solving payment complexity for enterprise traders and merchants. So... I would, uh, have we done a show on Adyen? We probably should. It's, it's one of the top ones on our watch list. That's kind of, we're waiting for well, we the right price though. We did an interview a while ago with mostly borrowed ideas on them, but we, we've cut uh, internally, I guess we've put it right on the top of the high quality watch list of waiting for the right price to show up, which we think is, you know, the stock's always expensive. It might never show up, but what do you think on this? Because I kind of see Adyen really, really succeeding in the U.S. now, and it seems like they are executing better than Stripe. Although Stripe is not public, so it's a bit of a black box at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, it was this mostly for the Shopify enterprise clients that we said. 
Well, it's solving payment complexity for enterprise traders and merchants. Um, I, I mean, I think it's a just deal in place with Stripe. That's what I mean. But people were talking about like they offer similar products, but they're, you know, a lot of these platforms, a lot of merchants have multiple merchant acquirers and they send stuff to, to both and they send to the one that has the best um, numbers. Authorization and, rates. And yeah, authorization costs. rates. So I guess maybe Adyen is here to hedge some of that Stripe risk and maybe compete against each other, but I still think it's, yeah, I still think it's a win for Adyen. Obviously, it's a win for Adyen, but I think it's, it shows that they're, I think they just have the best product out there from what from what I've read. And it's hard because it's not consumer facing, but I do think they have the best product. Okay. At Adian at 50 times earnings versus Visa at 30 times earnings, we're about to do a Visa show. Which would you rather own? <laughs> Neither. You have to pick one. Visa at 30. Yeah, I think I agree. I wouldn't own either to be clear at those prices, but Adian at 50 times. Yeah, I don't, I've never understood the valuation on Adian, but I think maybe, maybe people think it's a better business than we, we, we think. But I mean, it's processing already what? It's pretty big. Yeah. It was $800 billion in processing volume, somewhere around there. I think close to, yeah, close to a trillion. Hey, you know, there's a world that could hit 10 trillion. In a decade, sure. That's high, though. That's really high. It's a big number. Yeah, I agree. I do love the uh, operating efficiency there, though, and their mm -hmm. focus on you know not just paying egregious amounts to employees. There is such a difference in sh there will be such a difference in shareholder returns based on management's philosophy as opposed to product. I know this is kind of an obvious statement, but you look at Stripe and you look at Adyen. Stripe could have a better product. Let's say we were a public company. It could have a demonstrably better product and result in worse returns for shareholders purely because of the focus on influence in Silicon Valley and, and being the best place for employees and not prioritizing the income statement. Yeah. Well, here's, here's at the same multiple, since they do similar businesses, assume their take rate is similar. Let's just do like a net revenue multiple. At the same net revenue multiple, how much of a discount, or excuse me, at the same level of net revenue, not net revenue multiple, how much of a discount would you give Stripe? Because I kind of think it deserves like half, given that they just don't make money. According to the according to the numbers, they haven't filed an S one yet. But according to the numbers, the funny thing is, they they used to trade would probably get, they they probably would get a premium because people would say, "Well, think about the operating leverage here." There's a potential. What is the classic from Silicon Valley? Don't make money, then they just want more money. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is. That was a. F there were so many quotes in that show that ended up being just so spot on in the years to come. Um, or they were spot on then, but it got even crazier. Yeah. All right. Kava, we talked about last week, the IPO'd, and the stock has held up fairly well. Well, how much of that float is publicly available? I'm sure you don't know, but yeah, I have no idea. Um, if. IPOs are back. What's the first company you want to see go public? Company I want to see that I would want to invest in or potentially sure. invest in. How about I, there's two. Ones that I want to track and for an entertainment level, there's a different question there. I'd say Reddit, Stripe, a few others would be in that category. Ones that I want to invest in or put on the watch list potentially. I'd say number one would be Turo. Find that model to be interesting. Yeah. I also, agree. we own IAC, so it would be helpful. You know, help us out. Yeah. And they've already filed. <laughs> a, they've already big... filed like what five amended S ones. So yeah, it's like five quarters ago they filed. Yeah, uh, yeah. It would be nice to see them list some shares. Uh, if you could pick any private market business, or just any private business, 
to own shares in at let's call it a reasonable let's call it 15 times earnings what business would you pick it can be it doesn't have to be a startup yeah i'd rather you didn't pick something that's just going to grow earnings like quicker than everyone else just like a, a mature private business I'm thinking of saying Rolex, but I don't, I think that's like a non-profit almost. I might go Trader Joe's, pretty darn good moat there, I'd say. Or REI. REI's. Yeah, it's good. Becoming Trader Joe. He's quirky. He's quirky. He's a funny guy. Yeah. He's good. Um, He's good. Yeah. Yeah. And what's weird, what's weird is that he didn't, uh, he hasn't run the business since like 1990. Which is interesting because it shows that he built the culture to last. It hasn't really changed, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, Mars has got to be up there, right? Mars could be, yeah, 100%. I would put, and again, some of these I think might be like co-ops or, look, let's say they're run for profit. (laughs) I would go REI, Trader Joe's, Rolex. Not in that order. Those are just coming at the top of mind. Those seem like really, really high quality businesses to me. Maybe right. like Lego. Lego could be a high quality one. Is it? Is Lego not? I don't think Lego's public. Looking it up, I know you guys could probably hear this right now. Yeah, Ryan's got that Mac <laughs> that had the 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 keyboard complaints, right? Yeah, I don't think it's back in the day. Public. Can yeah, you buy not. Lego stock? The Lego group is a privately held company. Yeah. It's probably a good one. For some reason, I thought it was. There's another company, I swear, that's like Lego. And I thought it was public, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, okay. Well, Let's here's talk actually here, our, other financial news. Yeah. Well, here's the other question I have with payments. I want to add on to an, ad- an amendment to your question 50 times add in, 30 times Visa. I want to add a third one, 15 times American Express. Well, see, there's the difference is the balance sheet risk, right? Yeah. And I've never, I don't think I've ever owned a company where the balance sheet risk materializes, where it like all of a sudden you say, like I imagine that decline happens pretty quickly when you start to see massive defaults in the loan portfolio or massive struggles on the credit side. So I think it it deserves to trade at a significant discount to the rest. Okay. So what's your choice? <laughs> I'd probably go Visa. Visa or I think I go like Visa Am- in that scenario. I think I go Amex. That is close. It's close. That's why the question. I don't know how, like, let's say the loans got real bad for Amex. There's still some, you know, there's a lot underneath that, uh, underneath their corporate umbrella that is not lending revenue. Yeah. The brand and the brand is so strong. I'm not joking. (laughs) Uh, If people are worried about it being strong among young people, that should not be your bear case or your risks because literally everyone I talk to says, dude, it's a social status thing. Dude, the card's sick, bro. It's sick, dude. Dude, Don't worry, I'll pay. Dude, don't worry. I got the dude. It's titanium, dude. You I'm not joking. People that has not changed in 30 years. It's it's the same. Do not worry. Any Amex investors, Buffett can sleep well at night. It's a flex. <laughs> he understood that one. Yeah. Surprisingly. Right, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other topic. What do you let's think? Let's talk value spread. Yeah. You want me to bring this up? Uh, thank you to Tobias Carlisle at Acquires Multiple and Alpha Architect for always bringing this up. I do have to say, I forget to do it sometimes, but I always reply with the always sunny. I can go lower with that one i think it's one of the best memes i've ever done but if you look at actually let me let me share it let me share it. but it's easy to describe it's actually probably easier to describe than understanding a chart because sometimes it's hard to understand what the chart's meaning but they have this chart which is ebit divided by total enterprise value and you have the top decile in the value universe 
I believe, divided by the median. I don't think it's the lowest. So the top decile would be the cheapest value on an EBIT to EV ratio, right? So basically, what's the cheapest on an earnings yield? Trailing. And then you divide that by the median. So it's basically the spread between the average stock earnings ratio versus the value decile. Generally, I think, I, I forget the exact definition, but this is generally what it's saying. You can change the definition. It'll change the number a little bit, but I think you get what you mean, what I mean, right, Ryan? Yeah, is that, did I explain it well? Okay, Ryan's nodding. Today, the US value ratio is at about 4.4, which is higher than it was, significantly higher than it was during the dot-com bubble, which was three then. And then in 2008, I wouldn't count that because it was a weird time from uh, the data perspective. And then in the recent bubble, it kind of blew out to a little under three. But now it's just gone out even further, even as the market contracted. And I guess as we've recovered now, we've been led by a big tech rally. You know, NVIDIA, whatever, all the big eight, as I guess I'm calling it now. Why, let me ask, why do you think this is happening? Uh, right now, in particular, maybe a flight to safety for FanMag plus NVIDIA. Or I guess the N is interchangeable in FanMag between Netflix and NVIDIA. I, uh, I, yeah, I go I go big eight at this point. Yeah. Big eight. Big eight. Tesla, NVIDIA, Apple, that's three. Alphabet, Amazon, five. Microsoft. Meta. I am Net- curious. Netflix. Netflix doesn't count, though. It's like 200 billion. But whatever. Somehow they have some sort of lobbying campaign to get them included every time. But continue. I am curious to see if what's been a larger contributor to what's the GDP mix been? So how much of, if we're basically just comparing big tech, let's say to the value cohort, Mm -hmm. if you take that value cohort in 20, 2005, what percentage of GDP were they contributing? versus big tech. I wonder if that spread has been correlated uh, with the so it's le- Like, is it attributable to actual performance? Maybe, or it's less important as part of the economy. Yeah, I guess we just don't know. Um, maybe that could be an impact. I think it's kind of, a, it's, a, it's a couple of factors which is really driving us. One, it's a flight to safety. We've not only seen that in the big tech companies, but within a lot of consumer staples and stuff like that. I think two, is the obvious one that's been on everyone's mind the past few months is the AI. I guess we can't call it a bubble yet, but maybe we'll call it the AI boom potential bubble. You know, what I, I think, think it's, I think it's, I think it's a bubble, but let's say TBD on that one. I could easily be wrong. It could I think be it's a bubble. I think you're yeah. right. The, the thing that I find funny is they are just, I realized we're what company I was writing an article and I was the, I was looking at Amazon and they started talking about code whisperer. This most recent quarter, they were like, we're working on our, basically, it's like a generative AI for um, oh God. developers on AWS to kind of run. Uh, they can just say like, it, it, it develops code recommendations for them by them just being able to type in what they want, which it's a great solution. But they started talking about it this quarter. That product was launched two years ago. Oh, yeah, but... Everyone's yeah. just rewrapping every AI initiative they've ever done and starting to talk about it on conference calls. And when the ducks are quacking, you got to feed them, Ryan. That's why NVIDIA has that $10 billion shelf offering or whatever they did. They, they did a $10 billion stock offering. I think another two other factors that are impacting it. One, people are worried that energy prices are and commodity prices were kind of going through a little bit of a boom and they're worried about some of the energy and commodity companies that are a big constituent typically of the value index or the value type stocks. I think people are worried that they're over-earning. So they're worried that the trailing multiple is a little bit overstated. I think second on that, a lot of the value stocks tend to be, and again, I don't have the composition of this decile right now, so it could be completely different, but a lot of them tend to be financials too. So banks, 
a lot of bank types and banks. And right now those are being, people are worried, really worried about that, that they might be over earning as well. So I think it's a big confluence of factors. And I, here's my, here's my two questions though, that are very hard to answer because if you can answer them affirmatively, I think you're very confident you can either make money or, or where to put your money. Do you think the value does like, I guess it's so hard to predict the timing, but in general, it could widen a little bit more. But do you think this is a good time to buy value, value like the value factor? Potentially, yes, I would say yes. And you can make the case that if a huge mix of or a huge composition of the value factor is regional banks and energy stocks, you can make the case that they're over earning or that the earnings aren't going to look so good, I guess, a couple of years out potentially, because maybe regional banks are in a crisis. Although I think the crisis is the crisis. It's on, hey, was it's on not, hold. It's on hold. Don't listen. David Sachs is right. Jason crisis, Kalakness is the doing crisis is not on hold. I think there is no crisis. Um, if there's a crisis, it's a different one. Yeah. It's not going to be that one. Uh, and that's a good point here. Uh, James Goodwin commented, said, I think there's a definitely a size component here because I'm finding high growth, small, slash micro caps trading at single digit PE multiples. So basically he's saying not hugely cyclical, bad companies that are trading at very cheap multiples. Um, yeah. But sorry, continue. The last thing I was going to say is that you could probably make the case that they're over earning if that's a huge composition. But I think at any point where the value spread was significant, it was really wide or the value factor was incredibly cheap, you could have made there was a, a reason that it was that cheap. It wasn't like it just kind of like magically got there. There was some rationale as to why not to buy. I think every time the value factor tends to prove out that it's yeah, not going to the Any sort of um, like risk to uh, earnings compression or whatever earnings decline is mitigated by the collapsing of the spread, which means the value decile again i'm really bad at explaining this it's it is hard to explain especially as someone who we aren't quants here it usually uh compresses more which means outperforms the median stock or other stocks or the s&p 500 more than the earnings compress it here's an funny. interesting or if, if you looked at every one of the businesses in here that's included in the value factor you'd probably shrug your shoulders at just about every one myself included I would do that. But when you look at it as a factor, it seems so attractive because the overall valuations on each. Yeah. Okay. Here's, I think, a good poll or example to encapsulate this. I did a poll for the Chichet Money account, which if anyone wants to follow those, basically keep up with the show. We'll do some fun stuff on that account. I think the link is in the show notes, but either way to search Chichet Money on Twitter. Here's the poll. Better returns. We'll say total returns. Over the next 10 years, first choice, Invesco QQQ, basically the NASDAQ 100 ETF. Second choice, the Vanguard small cap value ETF. The poll results, which I don't think you probably saw, maybe saw these. 48% people said NASDAQ 100, 42% said small cap value, and 11% said see results, so pass. I will tell you today, the small Vanguard small cap value ETF, or at least two days ago, it was trading at this, has a PE of 9.8. And I think, could be wrong, I was using like Yahoo Finance there. So sometimes they're wrong. But I think generally this is right. And QQQ has hit a PE of 30. So I think a lot of people are better on this QQQ growth, man. A well, lot just- of people. You're just a growth hater. Even though we own, we own a lot of those companies, but I know it's funny how much we dunk on. I'm not even. I think I just at these times we get concerned about. It. I'm not dunking on it. I'm just saying it's might not be the best time to buy QQQ. Our money is not where our mouth is. We are, in fact, like, back, like half, backwards like, positioned against all the concerns we. Uh, 
you know, we're under stress on the show. Yeah. I mean, we're slightly underweight big tech, but not entirely, not entirely. Um, not a huge underweight. Not a, eh, we're about 50, 50 into growthier tech stuff or big tech plus growthier tech. W- what's your choice though? 10 years, 10 years. Remember it's not, it's not like next year. It's 10 years. Mm. I don't know. I have a hard time betting against any of the major indices, NASDAQ, SP 500, or even Dow, if you want to. I know the Dow is like not as cool as it was. Old man Dow, as they say. Uh, I have a hard time betting against them really in anything over a 10 year time horizon or longer. Yeah, it's going to be a big time until we can timestamp this. So everyone hit your hit your markers. 10 years from now, we're going to talk about it. But I think I would go small cap value at this moment. But again, that's just because the earnings difference, earnings uh, yield difference is so, so wide. Generally, I would want to overpay for QQQ because I think in general, the big eight excluding at this point, NVIDIA and Tesla, which I think is a big component for me of why I don't like it as much right now. Plus, again, you know, the general uh, earnings uh, multiple expansion. Generally, I want to overpay for those because I do think they're high quality businesses, especially when most of that QQQ is the big eight uh, tech companies. But right now, I think the spread is just a little too wide. All right. What's this crazy meme stock stuff you have? Let's how do you want to that, talk about meta materials? Yeah, let's we can, make that the uh the clickbait for this. I will put MMTLP in the headline if you want some really bad listeners that might send us some mean notes, which yeah, we've gotten we those received. before. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, gotten those before. Um oh wait, whoops, wrong link. The craziest meme stock. Okay. So yeah, there was this thing, and I'm gonna get the details kind of exactly not exactly right, but generally right. Um, there was this company called Meta Materials, and they were gonna do a private, like, okay, basically they were gonna transfer some of the holders of this stock into a private offering, and these meme stock kind of maybe we won't use the c word, but I'll say these theorists thought that there was a bunch of naked short sellers who once this thing Which, went for the record, I think that's the funniest term in finance. And, well, number one for me is ladder attacks, which they're no. just absolutely naked hilarious. short sellers. I just, <laughs> how can you not picture short sellers without clothes on the it's uh, that just means they're what just like, openly exposed no so so they don't they don't have shares that they actually got loans they're and this can happen it's just not it's like people get in trouble for it i think someone actually just got in trouble for it so basically when you short a stock you have to get a loan from another person to short it right to sell to sell the stock but in this case they're selling it if it's a naked short seller they're saying oh there's there's a bunch of short sellers out there not on the books right and there's so many out there. And then once they have to start buying back the stock, there's going to be a short squeeze. So what happened with this company is the company, the, the stock was going to stop trading. And there's a lot of other complications here that there's a good Wall Street Journal article, uh, the um, Kabuki, the anonymous Twitter account did a great post on it. There's a lot of coverage on it for all the details that people want. But basically, the stock was going to stop trading in two days time. So FINRA, because of T plus two settlement, disallowed people from trading it two days before the stock went dry or um, like got canceled and turned it to this private company. And the private company, generally because it's this mining company that people estimate has zero worth on this land or whatever it is, was supposedly worth this. But because of the short squeeze ideas, people bought up a bunch of this MMTLP stock in anticipation of the short squeeze. And then they got stuck with it because of T plus two and they couldn't sell. So they got, now they have this private company that they were promised in the documents called something hydrocarbons. So they own it, but they don't want to own it because it's worthless. And they're saying that there was no short squeeze. Here's the quote. This is from the wall street journal, mind you. So, okay, here's the quote. 
In anticipation of a squeeze mounted, Nextbridge said in a November 9th registration, and Nextbridge is the company here, that the price of MMTLP, quote, may rise significantly due to short sellers buying shares to exit their trades. Echoing that claim were investors with online followings, such as Bird Lady Roller Pigeons, a Texas woman who posts YouTube videos about MMTLP while dressed in a bird costume. Quote, there's going to be a very high demand for these shares. Judgment day is coming, said Bird Lady in a December 3rd video. Reached for a comment, the 42-year-old Texas woman said she wasn't involved in pump and dump schemes and hadn't sold any of her MMTLP shares. Well, you can't sell them. So, yeah. Is this the, I think this is the craziest meme stock out there. They're, they're, they, these, did you know that these people marched on like the SEC or FINRA and did a demonstration outside their offices saying, like, well, this I guess is, they can do that. This is this is news to you? Um, this is insane. So they thought there was going to be a short squeeze. They canceled the shares because of what was literally in the documents. And, you know, the company didn't help out. Right. They were saying in the documents that there could be, you know, the price could rise significantly because of the short sellers, which, you know, I, I don't know the ethics on that one, but I think this is, is, this is the craziest one out there. And there's still the conspiracy theory going. They want to say they have a hashtag out called FINRA fraud, which must be tough to just be a back office worker at FINRA and you get these complaints from people. Um, there's people like marching on offices, investigating these office spaces, and they're like, "Look at this building," and it's just, uh, it's just like people working in an office that looks like something out of the Soviet Union, not Soviet Union, just because how you know bland the building is. The, I find it, I can't help but think that a lot of these meme stocks or meme stock crazes, kind of the exuberance around really just these random businesses aren't started by someone at the company like i i always wonder like oh like a secret how do these like, things get started a hundred percent i think that i'm well let's say we don't know like so i can't say a hundred percent but i'm very suspicious that that's true yeah i think if you're someone on a management team of some really crappy business, but it's a publicly traded stock and you lack ethics, you can easily probably go make an anonymous Reddit account and start spewing out false information to enrich yourself. I am very suspicious that is kind of what goes on for a lot of these situations. Or, I mean, I guess in in some situations, they're just very public about it. Like they're not discreet at all. I think AMC is kind of an example of where everything's out in the open. It's not, there's no, there's no secrecy there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and we talked about that with the Bed Bath & Beyond as well. The companies are, like I said, the ducks are quacking and the ducks in this case are the crazed meme stock people who are providing a lot of capital to these companies exit and, liquidity yeah well hey to, they're they're managing liquidity ryan all right are was there a lot of insider selling here do you know don't know but i i believe they i it'd be hard to say they're not getting taken advantage of here because it was basically worthless security and they took it private now that you get shares in this private company that like look you have the same stock so if you're Warren, if you're talking about you know warren buffett style investing this is kind of that scenario that he says you know you wouldn't buy a stock if you, you should only buy a stock if you would what is it like it, it stops trading for 10 years and you can only sell it after 10 years like hey look guys like it's the same company it's just under a privately held name but when the idea is we're going to short squeeze these guys to high heaven and it doesn't happen, they somehow feel frauded and that the government needs to get investigated. I love it. how. Then they yeah, talk about if, if I mean, anything talk, ever goes and, against you. And they talk the, about Citadel, Citadel's behind yeah, it, apparently. Yeah. If anything ever goes against you, there's two people, to, there's two organizations to blame the government and Wall Street. Was, <laughs> yeah. Somehow, somehow they ruined you. The, no, I specifically, love how, specifically the SEC chairman and 
uh, Ken Griffin, right? That's his yeah. name. The guy that runs Citadel. I love how matter-of-factly uh, Wall Street Journal just like puts this. Echoing that claim were investors with online followings, such as Bird Lady Roller Pigeons, a Texas woman who posts YouTube videos about MMTLP while dressed in a bird costume. One of the great mysteries of this world is how the Wall Street Journal finds their anecdote people like, Larry from Charlotte owns a deli, and he says, get long NVIDIA. I am. <laughs> like, how do they find these random people? Do they have this database of just the average American from certain demographics across? I don't uh, know. I don't know. They find them for so it's every day in these articles. It's, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, anything else, though, Ryan, that you thought would be interesting to talk about? No, I guess Kroger reported earnings, which... I mean, just incredibly boring earnings, but I think it's uh, it interesting. Did, yeah. They mentioned AI eight times in their conference calls. So do you want to buy an AI company at 10 times earnings or do you not? Uh, uh, Kroger, AI, that's interesting. I guess, do maybe there's just like baskets of, maybe there's ETFs that are just like, if you mention AI on the conference call, you can be included in our ETF. Maybe, or I... I I don't know what Kroger thinks is going to happen to their stock because they mentioned AI, but maybe maybe they got egged on by analysts. I didn't I didn't hear. But if you're that analyst, stop asking the Kroger people about their AI strategy. Uh, please, please, for for all our sakes, reading these transcripts. Yeah the uh, the only reason I find it kind of interesting is it is maybe somewhat of a proxy for the consumer and inflation because, or at least food and uh leading indicator consum- right? consumable inflation yeah um so same store sales excluding fuel costs were up three and a half percent i think they call it like i don't think they use the term same store sales it's something else i can't remember what it is but they're guiding for one percent to two percent same store sales growth for the full year if inflation was for or north of five percent, it's hard to imagine these are the numbers that they guide for. So I, I think they are probably they've probably got good indicators that costs are coming down. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And we did talk about I believe in the inflation one, or maybe it was before that. I forget, but we did talk on a recent Power Hour about how. The drivers of inflation at the moment are food prices and shelter. So it looks like the food prices might be coming down, at least in the near term. And that, that could be interesting. That could definitely help, you know, be a disinflationary thing. I will say, I did find a tweet. Maybe I'll try to look for it. It looks like the forward-looking indicators on rent are not moving in the right direction. So, Ryan, looks like we might be getting screwed again. Let's see. It was from... This Bloomberg guy, Joe Weisenthal, which I think everyone knows, but he tweets a lot. So see if I can scroll down to it. Um, Either way, it was showing like instead of the Zillow and the who else would be there? Apartments.com indicators had, you know, rent prices flatlining right for a while, Mm -hmm. at least over the start of 2023. They ticked up again. Greedy landlords. Yeah, nah. There is a so I, that's what I'm saying is that part of inflation might that might be more more difficult or it's not coming down yet. No, it is. I mean, it's interesting. It's going to be an interesting situation for maybe not the residential um, real estate owners, but especially for commercial. Uh, I, found, I found it. I'll share the screen. For commercial, are you rather like? You you probably bought in, I'm guessing, at, I don't know what the market goes for in commercial real estate, maybe 5% cap rate or something like that, which is like essentially your earnings yield if you want to think about the building as a company. Um, if you bought in at 5% cap rate, you probably did it with debt. You probably need to cover that debt. Are you going to take prices down and yeah. hope people fill them? Or are you just going to def- like? Oh, this sounds like an amazing situation for renters, Ryan. Let's it say you have like- sixty or seventy percent occupancy rates compared to the ninety percent you had pre-COVID. 
Yeah, that'd be extreme, but how do, yes, good example. How yeah. do you pay your how do you pay off that debt? Do you try to raise prices? Yeah, it's a good question. On the remaining occupants, that seems like it won't be successful. Um, yeah. So here's okay. So here here's the chart. It was it was comparing the forward looking indicators to the rent CPI, which again we talked about. They smooth it out and has more of a lagging like six to twelve month. I think it's six month indicator. So it, it's not taking into account that month. It's taking into account the data from the last six months. And in starting in 2021, the Zillow and apartment list indicators uh, shot up, and then it's it's slowly driven up the rent CPI. But starting in late 2022, early 2023, the Zillow and apartment list stuff dipped and actually went down for a little bit. And it hasn't shown up in the data for rent CPI yet. But the last couple of months or maybe the last month, the Zillow and apartment list stuff has started to grow again. So it may have just been a small dip and that inflation is still going on, which is unfortunate. And homes are still at like an all-time unaffordable level. So, and that yeah on. that so I think it, you it, have to rent. Yeah the yeah if, if Kroger's right or if Kroger's an indicator for the food inflation, maybe it's all going to be housing soon. Who knows? Yeah, the housing market just boggles my mind. I always think like. Okay, rental prices feel high. I'm sure everyone has felt like this throughout like all of history. Like, oh God, rental, you know. Uh it seems like rental prices should come down. But when I think about how unaffordable homes are, I start to think, okay, uh rental prices really aren't so bad. Yeah, it's not outside of certain areas, it's not uh, yeah, it's definitely not as crazy as home affordability. Do you think there would be any benefit to some nationalized home building programs? 100%. I'm all in on that. Yeah. Like, this is more of a, it might reveal my political leanings, but yeah, I think that's a big way to solve the homeless problem is just build stuff for them. Because that's look, people talk about a lot of factors out there, but I think that's the key reason people turn homeless in the Western states, especially as we've lived here, is just because they get priced out, and then your you know your life gets ruined if you can't find a place to live. So then it gets you know spirals out of control from there. And I think yeah, that'd be really important. And the government has done that before. I believe it was post World War II they did this, in, in the U.S. government did this. And yeah, it's government housing, so gonna be boring, but it's not gonna like, be a, not gonna be a lake lake mansion. Or it's not gonna be that fancy apartment building that they all seem to be look like today. They all look the same. Me and Ryan have experienced this looking at those buildings for potential places to rent, right? They all look the same, they all talk about the same amenities, they all have the same software program. It is incredible. Um they have but the same it would be five, a, same five pieces of gym equipment and they're converted. Yeah. I would not be surprised though if there's a lot of lobbyists out there that work for some of these companies to not. If there is a nationalized program that. for affordable, it's good for. Homes. I think it's good for home builders because they have, they probably get a locked in. They'd have a locked in margin, right? I'm guessing they wouldn't. They would be like, I'm, I'm guessing. Oh, you're saying the government would just go through them to build? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Government's not going to build them. They got to contract it to someone. Yeah, interesting. Basically, just become. Uh, what's it called? Cost plus. Yeah. Turn into a cost plus model. I mean, it would certainly <laughs> maybe, that's drive volume. <laughs> maybe that's dangerous for, but if they're subsidizing it, why not contract it out? Yeah, who knows? There's probably a lot of complications here that we're not thinking of, but I think in general, yeah, government, this seems like a good idea, but who knows? I'm sure there's, given that we skew towards FinTwin and given that in general, people that listen to this are investors. I'm sure there's people that, really are against it just given that there's a lot of free market libertarians out there so if you find any problems with that let us know and we'll, we'll think about it i mean I ask, I, it as a, I ask it as a genuine question like, i think it's a good idea would, it, I think would there be would the benefits outweigh any of the negatives there yeah i mean 
the homeless, I think there's 500,000 homeless people in the United States. So yeah, I think the benefits would outweigh it significantly. All right. Well, that's our financial news for the week. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I think, yeah. Well, don't worry. We got the clickbait in there <laughs> for the MM to meme stock craze. We'll no, we'll no, yeah. Post it on the YouTube, point into something. Yeah, don't. We're we're never going to be the pointers. But I think that could. Well, we could. It could drive some crazy people to our to our video, which would be fun. But oh yeah. boy, here come the comments. Yeah, that'll definitely. I cannot wait for the comments. It's, it's really fun. That's why the Molly Fool banned for us writers. They they banned us for everyone's sake writing about AMC and GameStop because they said we kept getting literally endless amounts of death threats to the not death threats, but threats and really, really mean stuff to the Motley Fool, which is like the juice isn't worth the squeeze. So I you guys all relax. All right. The short squeezes aren't happening. The naked short sellers are not there. They're in your dreams. And let's move on with our lives, huh? But I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you everyone for joining where this was a day early. Like we mentioned, we do have the show wedding this weekend, uh, which will be very fun. Subscribe to the newsletter. Get free notes on each not-so-deep-dive episode. Give us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. They generally go live on Thursdays at 12.30 Eastern Time. However, you can also watch the replays on the YouTube page or listen to the replays on your podcast player of choice. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in and we will see you next week. 